Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Yes, hello everyone and welcome to another Women's World Cup Daily Podcast here at Optus Sport. Another crazy night of action behind us as we twist and turn into finding out not only who's going to make it into the round of 16, but who on earth is going to be playing who. David Weiner with you once again, joined by Heather Garriock and Ash Sykes. Morning girls. Heather, what was your highlight of a, another pretty entertaining night? Oh, it was an entertaining night. Jeez, uh, so, so many great games. Uh, I, I guess the highlight for me, or well, it's not a hi- highlight, it's more a low light and it's more... Um, from an emotional point of view, um, putting myself in Scotland's shoes, I guess Scotland being down oh, or up 3-0 and then Argentina coming back. And it was such a gutsy comeback uh, to 3 all, And I just feel so bad for Scotland who could have progressed to the next round. Right there, Ash. That is the emotion of World Cup uh, and football and the highs and lows right in 90 minutes. Isn't it? Like they're up 3-0. They're, they're looking good. They hadn't performed that well in first half so far this tournament Scotland and they came out they probably you know were probably ticking a box saying yeah we've done that well for the first 45 and then they kind of fell apart a little bit in the second half I don't know whether it's fatigue you know they conceded two goals before that controversy and I, I, I feel for them like that's it's hard to deal with when you feel like you've been hard done by and it'll take a bit I think um, for them to recover. I know Rachel Causey will probably uh, be thinking about it for a good few months. <laughs> Were they hard done by? I thought Kelly Summers' interview after the game that we saw on Off the Sport was actually one of the most um, emotional uh, crosses I've seen from a, a journalist, obviously meant to be impartial, but she clearly felt the emotion that the players she just interviewed uh, had conveyed to her. Um, how hard done by were they in this tournament and how much of it was their own doing? Yeah, uh, Kelly Summers, uh, basically, she, she's lived the journey with Scotland and she's been in the dressing room, she's been in and around the players, she's been interviewing them, she, she's been a major part of their team and to see the emotions of them reacting after the game, they were crying on each other's shoulders, some were arguing, some were angry, um, you could see in Kelly's face and normally she is a bubbly person and, and upbeat but it affected her and while it affected her and she was going through her emotion, it then in turn it affected me uh, because you put yourself in their shoes and how they would be feeling and were they hard done by yes decisions aren't going to go go your way that you ride a little bit of luck at a world cup um, but in saying that when you're three nil up you are three nil up you have to close out the game and I thought Scotland did it superbly in the first first half they were great but then when, when you get down to, uh, to 3-1, yeah, maybe 3-2, you need to bring the team in together and regroup, um, change your mindset, uh, speak about you know what's on the line. But they just seem to go one after the other. And yes, the, the, the referee played a major part, the substitutes, and she lost the plot and the extra time. She, she didn't give enough extra time. All those are things that are going to impact uh, the scoreline. But in essence, they're the, they're the footballers and they're playing. 
Yeah, and we, you and I spoke about that this year when we played uh, coaching with Canberra United and we had a similar thing happen in one of our games, uh, losing a, a big lead and tactics that you can do with the team to try and uh, get the momentum back from Argentina. Like they're going on a roll there and like as a captain or as a leader in that team, how do you how do you stop that the other team from uh, progressing with that momentum before it gets to the point where a controversial decision has to be made. So breaking the momentum, maybe a Scottish player needed to go down, maybe they need to slow down the play, maybe they need need to be a break in the play with the goalkeeper going down at three two. Just just something to stop the momentum because once you get on a roll and once you get in a deep dark place uh, as a Scottish player, going yep we're going to go through to the next round and then when it's three one oh no we might not. 3-2, we may not. Start panicking a yeah. little. And then the panic comes in. And, and you could see that by the emotions. And it, it, it was just heart-wrenching and heartbreaking. So in that sense, it's actually very interesting because a lot of you uh, tipped Scotland as some sort of dark horse or a team that you'd like to watch before the tournament. Um, how much does that inexperience, that game management and that kind of flow reflect maybe where they did underachieve over the course of these three games? Yeah, I think it, I think it showed a little bit that they're inexperienced playing at a tournament, and and Shelley Kerr's tactics have been questioned by other parts of the media. Like, is she playing the right game for them? And I think she is. They're just lacking. Like, I don't know if it's inexperience. Maybe they haven't got the rub of the green, a little bit of luck, but they they haven't played a full ninety minutes in the tournament, and that's probably what's cost them. And I know Kerr also mentioned that you know they're in a really tough group. Like. People expected them to get a win or points from games against England and Japan, which is really tough. And she herself said, I don't think we're quite there yet. So maybe maybe they have to look forward to trying to qualify for the next uh, World Cup and then you know, a few, few more years of development. We'll see the best Scotland. Look, I, I watched Scotland uh, throughout the uh, pre-World Cup and I saw the way they played. They played fearless, and they didn't play fearless in the World Cup. They were scared. They yeah. were. Um, they put themselves at a World Cup. Their mindset was uh, not brave. They didn't play how the Scottish team should play. But in saying that, it, it's their first World Cup. What a fantastic achievement. And it has nothing to do with Kerr because Kerr, in essence, um, her post-game interview was absolutely outstanding. Mm. I think she held herself superbly. She could have lost it. She could have lost it. It was a credit to herself. Obviously, she was deflated, but the way she spoke and the way she held herself, she needs to be really proud of herself and proud of her team and proud of the na- nation that's going to be behind them for the next four years going into the next World Cup. And she got them there in the first place. Like I've heard nothing but good things about her and her coaching, and um, that passion was fantastic. Yeah, As you said, she could have slammed the ref there. Yeah. Probably got a nice little fine to go along with it, but... She held it together. I tell you what, speaking of fairy tales and great achievements, Argentina, like regardless of whether they go through, and they're half a chance now, depending on, we'll throw the, I don't know, throw it at a dartboard and try to figure it out. Let's just wait till tomorrow and see what happens. But um, particularly given the off-field story for them where they were, you know, where their federation hasn't supported them and they were out of contention and back playing again, to have been as competitive as they are is absolutely fantastic and hopefully a catalyst for them in South America to, to continue to kick on. Yeah, I've got a really soft spot for them and the reason why I do is because last World Cup they were getting smashed in the games and, and no one wanted anything to do with them and they were, they were the team that, why are they here in the first place? And then they've, they've, they've really made a name for themselves here and getting two draws in the group stage in such a hard hard group, they need to go away and be really, really proud of themselves and look, it, it's an outside chance they're going to, going to qualify um, to the next group. You need two draws in the other two group games for them to qualify. But they go back to the drawing board. 
they they get in touch with the Argentinian Federation and say we we are serious about our football and we really really, really want to do well and I think they've set the scene and they should be proud of themselves uh, for what they've achieved so far. Yeah, they've really announced themselves to the Federation saying, look, we can compete with these teams on the world stage. Like, I think it's time for a bit more investment. Absolutely. Now, when we're talking about those permutations, that's because they are on two points. Um, Niger- Nigeria probably hold, well, they've got the points on the board. It's always nice to have the points on the board. So they are through at the moment. But it's really interesting tomorrow because Cameroon and New Zealand, depending on if one of them can actually get a solid win, they're putting themselves in half a chance if they do win. And then you'd have to say, though, with Chile, the way the draw has fallen for them playing Thailand, they would fancy themselves to take one of those positions. So still a few positions up for grabs, just to reiterate, Nigeria, Chile, Argentina, and one of Cameroon or New Zealand will all be sitting there sweating over the results over the next 24 hours, hoping to get through. And then we'll finally know who plays who, because at the moment it's really only Norway, Australia that's locked in with the time of place for the round of 16. Yeah, how exciting. It's great for the Australians to know. But one thing um, that kind of doesn't sit well with me is at a World Cup, usually, or the three World Cups I've played at, is um, the moment that you know that you're out of the group stages or the quarterfinal stages, basically you're on the next flight home. So you sleep that night and bags are packed, bags down the night before, and you're going home. But for someone like a Nigeria... I just sitting, weird. Yeah, you're just sitting around. I know they had a training session yesterday and... Yeah, they've continued to pretend that they're in in the next round. So to have your mindset going, are we in or are we not in, that's that's really strange for me. And how can we have that not happen um, for for next World Cup? It's it's bringing more teams in, but but can we do that? So that's the question. So it's it's preparing for that as well, pre-tournament. Are you a fan, Ash? Bringing more teams well, in yeah, or? Bringing more teams or the third place. I, I do find the third place thing odd, particularly, I mentioned it a couple of times on this podcast, particularly given how... My reference for that is Portugal winning the Euros from third um, and coming from there. I'm still not convinced by it. Well, you look at the Australia group, you know, those three teams probably do deserve to go through. And so in that respect, the third place is good. It's just a bit confusing. Like, Australia is the only team that knows who they're – Australia and Norway are the only teams that know who they're playing so far. It's just – it's a bit odd. And as Heather's mentioned, great point. Like, what do you do while you're waiting to find out whether you're still in the tournament or not? I think the solution is to bring in more teams for the next edition – uh, it might dilute the pool a little bit more, but we've seen this this World Cup. The only team that's really been, I think, really off the mark has been Thailand, which, um, you know, if North Korea hadn't been banned, they'd be the fifth-place team and I think it'd be a bit more competitive. But you've got a lot of teams from Europe who have missed out um, who are, would be ultra-competitive at the World Cup. Denmark, Iceland, Switzerland, Switzerland yeah. Austria did well in the Euros. Like, there's plenty of quality teams that miss out. Whether they, you know, they're obviously not all going to come from Europe, but um, some African nations and, and South American as well. But I, I think to make it re- ultra competitive, especially even more so in the group stage, only having two teams go through next World Cup, perhaps we, they look at uh, bringing in more teams. Yeah, really good point. It's really interesting stuff. But one other thing it does is you actually can't predict your path. It's not like a tennis mat, tennis draw where you can actually now go down one path, and that includes we'll, we'll be on the US side, we'll be on the France side. So that's something that England have had to contend with as we move on to that game uh, today. Really good game uh, between two really competitive teams, and uh, great to see Japan improving through the tournament, but I think England showed uh, flexed their muscles at times today too. Oh, they did. They did. Hey, Ash, uh, in the first half, wow. I looked at them, the intensity that they played with, the intent they played with. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. 
At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. With some of the combination plays, especially down that right-hand side, they are potent down that right-hand side with, with bronze. And if it's, if it's daily that plays that right wing role or if it's uh, Paris that comes in, it was just outstanding to see. But maintaining that for the full 90... I just, I just can't see them doing that, especially as, as the tournament uh, progresses. You're starting to get tired legs. You're starting to, yeah, it's, it's tough. Do you think they have it, in, or Phil Neville has it in them to pace themselves or vary their game plan, or is it all or nothing for them? I don't know. I think that's the question. I mean, they've been apparently training really short sessions and trying to keep their squad fr- as fresh as possible. And he said, like, there's no need to train for longer than 40 minutes if you get in there and it's intense. And if you can get all that you'd want to get done then because it's easier to have people fresh than have them tired and trying to refresh them for later in the tournament uh, that's their approach I wonder thinking about it now whether that's affecting you know whether they can play for the 90 because they're not having to concentrate for that long other than on match day I'm not sure but um, yeah I don't know how he fixes that other than asking them to please can you concentrate for 90 <laughs> minutes <laughs> is that their strength H is that intensity or what is it that makes them uh, you know in the top two, three, four favourites from here on in to take it out? I personally think, I think Neville has done a superb job in um, creating a professional environment. As soon as the man walked through the door, he was respected by all these players. In actual fact, the players were probably in awe of him. I'm in awe of him. Um, And from a coaching perspective, he's been concise. He's been precise in his philosophy and the way he wants to play and if you ask me how, how does England play, I would be able to tell you today they're a possession-based team. They're very creative when they get in the front third. They like to use the, the uh, outside backs to combine with the wingers that come in. Um, and from, a, from a, when they don't have the ball, they're high-pressuring, but they're not high-pressuring recklessly. They're doing it collectively. They like to lock, lock teams in. So that, their philosophy, is evident regardless of personnel. So he's done a fantastic job. The second thing is, especially when you're coaching uh, women is belief. Okay, women need belief and belief in their manager. And I think he has helped them believe in themselves and believe in the nation that they can win the World Cup. And you can see that they're they're playing with confidence. They're playing some fantastic football. Yeah, and they say the players often talk about the standards that he has on the on the field of being really high, and he's oftentimes critical on the pitch. And I think they appreciate that someone being firm with them but that they don't carry it with them off into the hotel or whatever apparently they've brought in a lot of um, processes off the field to support the person as well as the player so Neville focuses a lot on on pitch making sure everyone's up to a really high standard um, getting their processes right he speaks about their passing and being able to control games by going back to their passing sequences and then off the field they've got a psychologist with the team they're making the team hotel they're decorating everyone's rooms he he takes a real interest in in the players and I think as Heather mentioned for for women players that's really important like man player management is such an important thing and if they feel supported by him then they're going to give him their support right back. So how big a ploy is the, 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 the huddle out in the field in front of everyone? I mean Johnny Aloisi noted that he think that's, thinks that's for the cameras 
but strategically, there must be a reason for it. It's not just to show everyone how good he is. It's probably trying to engender some sort of belief and, and, and even, dare I say, Gareth Southgate effect where you know he, he took the country by storm last year with the buzz around the team and maybe he's, he's trying to show the English public the similar unity in his team so that they can buy into that. Yeah, the fans um, and, and family as well play a massive part in this. And yeah, it, it is probably a publicity stunt, but it's also to show that how close-knit they are. And then when... The nation believes, and the fa- your family believes, and the fans believe, and the the media believes. Then everyone starts to believe, and it's it's just a knock on effect from there. And and the players, they got some exceptional players, and you can see they are fit as fiddles as well. So um, he's done a great job. But the m- most important thing is um, because while we're talking about this, we talk about Ante Milicic. Um, he reminds me a lot of similar processes and principles. Um, but Neville's had the time to be able to do this with England. Ante yep. hasn't had the time, and I think that is the, the defining factor. It would be interesting to see the Matildas, you know, uh, you know, with Ante in charge for 12 months. In Tokyo, to, maybe? Yeah, 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 in Tokyo, yeah. yeah. I think they'd be a much improved side to what we're seeing now. Very good point. Speaking of much improved, just a, a nod on, on Japan and what you thought of them this morning. And can they still do anything I mean, with our world? one of the few world champions in the competition. Any chance of them uh, continuing to build over the next couple of rounds? Yeah, I thought I think they've improved massively from that first game. Like, they're a bit lacklustre against Argentina. Um, I, th- I think they cop a little bit of pressure from being successful the last couple of tournaments, so they might be feeling that a little bit. But no matter who they play, they're going to be tough to beat. England still had to work hard this morning to beat them. Like, they had to bring a real intent to the game. And I think no matter who Japan play... Um, they're going to have to have a tough time, and I, I don't think I don't think we can rule them out. But I don't think they're the team uh, that they have been in the past. How good was Yamashita in goals this morning? There have been some, I know it's very easy to pick out a goalkeeper, and we've done it a couple of times because <laughs> when you're making big, I mean, you wouldn't pick them out, but I mean, I've got a soft spot for them, and then and you can make them the hero. But a question without notice because it seems like there have been some really gallant performances individually uh, by some goalkeepers. Which individual performance so far as captured your imagination uh, through the tournament? It's a question without notice, but um, we've watched enough football to, to think of one, one moment during the tournament where you're just like, that was brilliant. Oh, there's been there's been so many so many uh, moments, but uh, in particular, I think the Jamaican goalkeeper who didn't start against Australia, yeah. which I think, <laughs> thankfully, to, yeah, to their detriment, is, is Snyder, um, who was outstanding for Jamaica. And obviously, she had a lot of saves to make, and she a lot of balls went in the back of the net. But I think she was absolutely outstanding. Um, the reason why you've got a soft spot for goalkeepers, Dave, is because you're a goalkeeper. <laughs> oh, now the truth comes yeah, out. A, a loose a loose term. When you, I don't know if you can call that a park level, but. <laughs> If you, if you apply that, then yes. <laughs> and I've been exposed a couple of times on the couch too by Rich Bayless, which has been very embarrassing when you're sitting next to Thomas Sorensen yeah. talking about goalkeepers. So I take <laughs> I take all the howler questions and yeah. he takes all the save questions. Ash, any particular performances? And it doesn't have to be goalkeeper, just just an individual performance that, that you felt captured your, the imagination. I mean, it's hard to go past Alex Morgan, but I've just been impressed by Medema, the the Dutch forward. Just She's been clinical in, in front of goal in this last game, and I think she's really important to the way the, way the Netherlands play. Um, and I think she's going to keep, you know, she she takes her chances. And it's similar to Ellen White this morning. She just picks a spot in the back of the net and passes it in. Like, if you're a, if you're a kid watching the World Cup, those two are the players you want to watch if you're working on your finishing. They don't 
that I'm sure they can blast it into the back of the net when they want to, but they've just passed it in. Pick a spot, pass the keeper, no problem. Yeah, brilliant. There's been good, some great finishing too. Yeah, and we can't we can't go past Sam Kerr. So oh, while yeah. we're talking about placing the ball and being prolific in front of goal, from a heading point of view, wow. She, the vertical jump, the leap, the, the two headers that she scored uh, last night, wow. Unrivaled, just, right? Just phenomenal. And to see someone rise above get the vertical jump, be able to guide it into the back of the net. I've seen that a thousand times in W League, so it was so great mm. to see it on the world stage. I saw a great stat today. She scored in 20 out of the last 29 games with the Matildas, so that all goes well going into the next phase. In the cotlight of day, Ash, we didn't hear from you yesterday on the Matildas, but what's your what was your uh, reaction to that performance yesterday? Yeah, I, re- I was really impressed by it. I enjoyed watching them play. Um, as I said, I was uh, sitting on the couch, r- rugged up, uh, cheering them along, trying not to be too loud, don't want to wake the neighbours. <laughs> but um, yeah, it, it was fantastic to see them come out and, and put in a really good uh, performance and, and also score a few goals. I think that will help them continue to boost their confidence and in turn maybe play um, keep improving the areas that need to be improved. Did you have anything else, H, in the... No, just obviously Ante's um, press conference after the game is obviously wasn't, wasn't the most positive. Mm. He spoke about the, the defence and I think he's frustrated because he really wants the Matildas to play a particular style and similar to the style that Neville's play, playing with England. But he, I just don't think he's got the time. And to be able to um, tinker with that, that back line, um, maybe he's going to bring Claire Polkinghorne back into the centre-back position because we're still not quite there and Steph Catley looks a little bit out of sorts and she's one of our top players. I'd love to see her back at left-back. But again, let's not discount Ross back and young Ross back. Yeah. And hey, how, how proud are we of, are of her? <laughs> like Ash. proud parents. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Go Rosty. <laughs> yeah, nice. That was a, it's always great to see those nice little stories out of a World Cup and, and that's what makes it. What, what an amazing, amazing achievement that is. So we will continue the build-up to that big Norway game on Sunday over the next couple of days but before that I mean tonight is absolutely massive we've got Cameroon against New Zealand Netherlands against Canada um, and then followed by Thailand against Chile and Sweden against USA so we've got jostling for top spots and we've got jostling to survive and go through so before we wrap up a quick tip who we're going to have uh, happy and sad tomorrow morning Look, I think um, I think the Dutch are going to get it over Canada uh, for sure I think Thailand's going to um, struggle against Chile I'd love to see New Zealand beat Cameroon. And probably uh, the US will probably beat Sweden, but I reckon that one would be pretty close. Yeah, that's a blockbuster with heated rivalry as well. We all know that because we've got Hope Solo on Optusport throughout the tournament and we know what she said after about Sweden a couple of years ago, calling them cowards. And I wonder what their tactics will be against the US tomorrow. So we wait and see. Yeah, and just on that, um, it's interesting, uh, Hope's copped a lot of slack for calling uh, the Swedish cowards and look how how the athletes have evolved and obviously the Sam Kerr comment was no different to that comment but Hope Solo was crucified for it so um, she's such an amazing person an amazing player amazing goalkeeper Hope Solo so it's great to have a part of the Optus Sport team and very interesting to listen to as well never puts it straight down the middle with a with a, with a fluffy <laughs> comment does she girls thanks so much for sticking around I know it was another big night for you guys and we'll see you all again very very soon Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Dave. Brilliant. And everyone out there, as always, until the next podcast, enjoy your football.